All right, so we've got a bunch of folks here. Um, and actually, before we get going, um, I want so Adam, I've got a photo album that has uh, all of these boards that um, I'm going to share in the chat, um, nice. and th that can help guide some of this. Um, but and um, and actually, go do that. Um, and so, if if you're catching this in the podcast, you're going to need to. Uh, put it in the show notes, what have you, but this will be um, an album that will allow you to see all, all of what we're talking about. Um, and maybe um, we can actually kick it off. I, I, I kind of want to, Adam, I don't know if we want to go in, in chronological order or reverse chronological order in that. Do we want to start with Nathaniel's demo on Friday and then jump all the way back to that, the cliff at the beginning of that's, time? That's what I was going to say. Let's, let's start with the end and then, and, then, uh, and then get back to the beginning and work forward. I love it. Perfect. So, uh, Nathaniel, would you mind, you're here, would you mind describing what you demoed on Friday? And I would love to get, we're going to have to get a video of this up because it was pretty neat. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, what I demoed was uh, a pick and play, an open source pick and place in my house, like running behind me in my electrical lab here um, in the middle of Wisconsin. And uh, I was building one, uh, uh, like a series of the small proto boards that we had originally had a, a supplier build for us uh, back uh, before I even joined Oxide. So, you know, more than a couple of years ago. Um, and those have, you know, had a great life and been consumed in various fashion. And uh, it turns out that those, uh, that's our, uh, our ROT chip. And the ROT chip that we had at, the, we could source at the time, didn't have the secure pieces, which is what we actually need for our ROT. Uh, so we're building a new set of those to go uh, distribute to the team with the chip that actually has the secure stuff that we have managed to, you know, finally be able to buy. Um, and so in in my lab, I have uh, I've got a stencil printer that I use to put paste down, and uh, one of my coworkers, Cliff, had uh, had this board panelized for us. Um, and so we have a nine up panel. This is a small little board. It's like an inch and a half by an inch, maybe. And uh, but it's got about 40 parts on there, and I've done a number of prototypes um, for Oxide here uh, in the last couple of years with um, mostly like my own pick and place. So like me with tweezers setting each individual part down, and at a certain scale and a certain bomb count, that kind of gets annoying. Um, and so this this is one where you got about 40 parts on the bomb and. You know, we want to do a couple of panels of these, and so you know, you're starting to look at like nearly 800 uh, manual placements. And so, um, I have separately been working on getting the Lumen PNP, which is um, an open source pick and place by um, Opulo, up and running. Uh, in you know, it's kind of like grown up Legos, putting all the stuff together with like aluminum extrusions and 3D printed parts. And so, uh, the inaugural run for that was uh, doing these ROT carrier boards, and so I showed that on Friday. It, which was just mesmerizing. I mean, a pick and place machine, I think, is always mesmerizing. It just, it, it so that I always kind of, so I'm with slack jawed watching pick and place machine, but Nathaniel, that was great to watch it in the, I mean, right behind you. And then you were, you were showing kind of leading up to that, showing how you could kind of go to any ref does, or you could go to any location on the board and watching the camera whip around. I mean, it was just really, really cool. Um, yeah. And I mean, like, having robots is fun, right? So having robots is fun. It, you know, like I, I think this is like where my inner Calvinist it really sh shines through. Where I am like 
not into robots for things of like for like company. Like I'm not into like the Jetsons vision of a robot, but I'm definitely into robots doing like hard physical labor. I think yeah. it's amazing. Well, and, and I think like repetitive, boring stuff, or, I mean, you know, like I could have hand placed this board. I mean, there's nothing that, that huge on there, but like that's hours of time where instead I can just like let the thing go and put all the little resistors down and, you know, not worry about it. So repetitive, boring things robots are really good for too. They are and really they, th This pick and place machine, this, is it open PNP? Or yeah, so OpenPNP is the software. So that's like a Java app that is running, and it's that's multi-platform. You can get it on a bunch of different platforms, and that's been around for quite a while. Um, and then, uh, kind of like you know, if you look at like the 3D printer industry, there's been a lot of like community development and trying to get you know various printers, be it um, you know like people doing mods on an Ender or people doing the Voron uh, printers or what have you. Uh, and so uh, Stephen Hawes, uh, who's the guy who founded Opulo, uh, started this off kind of as a side project, from as I understand it, and uh, wanted to like build an open source pick and place piece of hardware. And so the they have custom hardware. They have uh, a custom circuit board that runs the thing. It runs Marlin, which is a, a 3D printer firmware that's open source. And uh, they three all they did all the CAD uh, all the CAD is up in FreeCAD, so you can go download it and modify it to your heart's content, and it's it's out there. Anything I know, it's gauche of me to ask to talk about money, but about how much is like what are we talking to build this thing? I think you can buy their kit right now, that's probably back ordered for about seventeen hundred, and that comes mostly assembled. Um, so you have to put, you know, like three or four subsystems together, as I understand it. Um, I was an early adopter, and so I spent less money, but got the opportunity to put it all together <laughs> myself. <laughs> and 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 you do have to, like, if you bought the early ones, you actually had to print all your parts too. So all the parts are printed, and so I had to print all that too. And you know, the that isn't very expensive, but it's like time consuming, especially if your printer bed is fairly small. So you say adult Legos, you're mean, it's like step 734, print the following three pieces. Yeah, like, uh -huh. yeah. Okay. pretty much. I mean, they, they have a, a bomb basically with a whole bunch of STLs. And so the STLs are the, like, um, the 3D data basically with dimensions or with, you know, like an assumed dimension basically. And so you run those and you drop those into a slicer and uh, you get a G code. And how hard is it to get the software working on all this, Nathaniel? Because I, I do feel like Adam uh, and I are proud of like getting like clear audio working. <laughs> Meanwhile, yeah. Nathaniel's building a fab. It's, I mean, it's uh, it's hours. I mean, it's it's many many hours. Uh, you know, if you think about uh, for people who have played with a three D printer, a lot of times you spend a lot of time kind of getting that dialed in. You have so you have all the same kinds of motion motion axes here. But then you have uh, vacuum and vacuum sensors, and you have uh, additional lights, and then a whole vision system. And uh, you know these the vision system uses these little um, either like little USB cameras that have a fisheye lens, and so you have to put them in and do calibration so that you like de-fisheye the image because OpenPNP mm -hmm. uses vision a lot, uh, which is kind of the big difference between the 3D printers world where vision isn't used quite as much. Uh, this thing has a top camera and a bottom camera, and oh, wow. you know, so it can look at where you're where you're picking the parts up and where you're putting them on the board, and also it can fly them over the bottom camera and look at how the part got picked on the nozzle. So there there is a good bit of messing around trying to get things dialed in, and um, 
there's like the mechatronic system and then also the vision piece. And so um, open PNP is pretty cool. And there is, you know, there's a helpful discord channel that the Opulo guys are running and uh, lots of people have been doing mods and help in there. So it's, you know, a useful place to reach out, but it's mostly just time and distance. Yeah. Right. Well, that is really cool. And of course, like, so aside from the fact that it is extraordinarily cool, why do I care about this? Why do this? Well, you know, you get, you can kind of do things on demand. So like, that's a useful thing. And, you know, like, uh, I mean, as we'll get into, I think tonight, um, it's not un infrequent for us to decide we want to make something and then like sort of want it the next week or the week <laughs> after. And, and some of that maybe is poor planning. And some of that is also maybe just, um, you know, we recognize the need and it's like, you want to turn that need into you know, a fulfilled reality. And so, I mean, I feel like, uh, you know, we will go through the boards, I guess, but uh, like Gimletlet is a good example of that. I think Cliff, you know, had kind of an idea one afternoon and then, you know, 24 hours later, it's out for fab, right? So it is remarkable. Uh, and, and the ability to go out for fab. So that needs to go, I mean, you know, you, you actually haven't done your own fab. So that still needs to go right. to, to, a, to a PCB house. Right. But, and you get the turnaround on that can be, a, you know, a it's, week. It's something a couple, like that. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, it depends on how much you want to pay. Right. You can do it stateside and you pay more. Um, or you can, you know, ship it off to a PCB way or a JLPCB or whatever. And, um, you know, like I think Eric got like 50 Gimlet boards back that are four or six layers with controlled impedance. And, you know, you get like 50 fabs back for $300 or something. It's not that it expensive. Is, God, it's amazing. And then but th then there's this assembly piece, and that's what you're automating with your right. own PMP machine. And But the ability to then not, not for these small boards, we can go from ideation to hardware in hand like functioning in a remarkably short amount of time, a week right. and change basically. Yep. And it, go ahead. you know, when you, when you, well, when you get that tool in the arsenal, when you begin to like have that superpower, there are a bunch of problems that it becomes really tempting to solve that way because it's like, yeah. okay, well I actually now, now there are a bunch of problems I actually didn't even realize I had, but now that we can solve it this way, let's go solve them. Well, and, and I think something to remember, especially about like our organization is we're not all in the same you know, region or physical space. And so like walking down to the lab to go play with the prototype is not actually an option for a huge portion of our company. Yeah. And so, uh, and like, if you look at our equipment, I mean, like a gimlet is cool, but you know, it takes 54 volts and it doesn't have a NIC interface. And it like, it's not, it's not something that's like that useful to somebody sitting on their bench and it's noisy. And uh, maybe with the 2K fans, it's not so noisy, but you know, it's, it's like, it's not some, and then they're also kind of expensive. So, you know, you're, you're looking at, you know, many thousands of dollars just for like processors and whether you want, you know, SSDs or DIMMs and all of that. And for like a large portion of our company, uh, the people are working on a subsystem. They don't actually need all of that other stuff. And so, uh, you know, we've been able to be pretty successful with some of these little boards to, to like break out subsystems into these boards. And then they're relatively inexpensive. We can build them ourselves even in some cases and, you know, ship them all over the country very cheaply. Is this a good 
opportunity to rewind back to some of our, our first proto yeah. boards, our first development boards? Yeah, and I, I would, so I was going to take us back to Gemini. If, if, if you if you got that album, um, I did learn the hard way that I cannot be, at least not easily, I can't be in Discord on the laptop and on the phone at the same time. So um, I did drop the link, but then I had to, I had to run to get back over here. Um, but hopefully folks have got that link. Um, the And the, the, the first photo in the album there should be uh, Gemini, which is the first board we did. Um, and Cliff, you led the charge on that. Um, and I think that our experience with Gemini informed a bunch after it. Um, do you kind of want to talk about the, the genesis here and and how what we learned from doing Gemini? Sure. So I think of building these little modules, like it's sort of the hardware equivalent of unit testing. You want to write little things and see if they work in isolation. And then if they don't, you throw them away, you make a new one, and you repeat this until you've got a library of useful things. So when you're when we set out to build a server from scratch, uh, you don't really want to go straight to building the whole server motherboard, particularly because at the time, we had a total of um, zero <laughs> full-time electrical engineers at the company. So, uh, there's a sort of there's a process I learned from robot people at a previous job, something called a roadkill build, which is where you get all the parts that will wind up in the eventual thing, but instead of being tightly integrated, they're all spread out over a bench with nasty cables between them so that you can probe them and poke them and replace them as needed. And so we thought it'd be a good idea to do that for the server. So we started with the part that was simultaneously the best understood and also the scariest, which is the root of trust slash service processor initial few instructions that run on boot end of the system, which we had at this point recently decided to do with a combination of two off-the-shelf microcontrollers when all of the previous things we tried fell through. So, um, and Jim and I worked okay, but honestly, I think the main thing we learned from this is that it is entirely possible to bite off more than you can chew in these prototype circuits, in particular, Gemini was just too highly integrated. There were too many moving parts. There were too many committed I/O pins to certain purposes. It was there was just too much on the board, and we could have turned it around faster, and it would have had a better longevity if we hadn't built all of those things in there as fixed functions. Yeah, I think that was a big point of education. And I mean, it should be said that Gemini worked. I mean, it was amazing. Sure. And the um, the, actually, this Gemini, this is this Gemini is always. I want to be buried with this thing, Adam. By the way, if, I, if the, so, if should you survive me, um, you know, please, on the show notes. Yes, please, please bury this board with me because <laughs> uh, the, the, this board is special to me for a lot of reasons. It, it's serial number one. It's the first thing we made in Oxide. Uh, Cliff had done the bring up of it. Cliff and I were at the office doing the bring up. It's 51 degrees in the office because the heater was broken. Um, and this particular Gemini, which in, in the software came up. I mean, it was great. The software came up. The hardware came up. Basically, everything in this board works. Um, so that... But Cliff's point about the tight integration was it just took a long time. It took a long time to, to get it reviewed and right. And, you know, we found a bunch of things in review that were really important. We want to get them fixed. Um, but this particular Gemini also was if it looks reworked, it's because it has been reworked and not because of any fault of the board. Mm -hmm. So the uh, you'll note the 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 header um, the, the, the header uh, was exposed pins before. Uh, There's a header at the bottom. The, uh, the, we're never going to need this header. Uh, was exposed pins. Um, and um, over uh, shortly after I had this thing at home and was working on it and had some confidence in its robustness, 
Uh, we did have a moment where we were petting the cat, talking to the family over the holidays. This is in uh, the holidays of 2020. Um, and at some point, I moved this board to be further away so it didn't get knocked off the table. And then only later realized that the board was no longer responsive, um, right, which was rather upsetting. Uh, and the I had actually managed to zap the board. Uh, and so Cliff not only reworked the board to kind of solve the UX problem of changing these exposed pins to a header, that couldn't be zapped, but that that STM thirty seven, uh, the, the STM thirty two H seven fifty three in the middle there has been reworked by Cliff, which is just amazing. But the, the, you refloat this thing back onto place, incredible. Well, um, I mean, but, but I think we didn't. Static. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, the yes, it did. Uh, and it's it's also worth noting. That I think Brian is the only one that got a um, a board with the uh, quote unquote safety header at the bottom just because the rest of us either don't have cats or have grounding straps at our workstations <laughs> uh, fair i feel like a couple of these have been reworked but i'm I, maybe that's true i still anyway this board i still am very emotionally attached to uh and not least for uh, i love all of uh cliff and rick's two delightful kind of jokes and and wordplay on the board is is terrific we hey. Certainly, like going back to the we put too many things on this board, like the the concept that we ran into was, hey, an x86 server with all of its management and and everything is way too complicated. Let's slim it down. And so we initially we were slimming it down to just the management subsystems, right? Like this is intended to be the service processor and the things that it would talk to and what we expected are plausible choices for Gimlet, our x86 server. And it just turns out that even that's too much, right? And and by having it be all on one board instead of it being pluggable modules, it meant that we committed to a lot of design choices where, in fact, what we were trying to understand was, are these actually the parts that we plan to use? And it turns out, in a lot of cases, the answer was no, right? And yeah. at which point, more and more of the, the system became less useful. For example, the two Ethernet jacks on there never yeah. actually used. Right. Because we, we changed our philosophy on how that was going to work before we ever actually got boards back from being manufactured. Yeah, I did manage to switch traffic from one port to the other once, but I don't think it ever went to the SP. <laughs> so, and then the, the the next image in there is part of what I also loved about this, and this was like that a little bit of modularity where the the on this first image, the root of trust is actually not on here. The root of trust is in a separate carrier board um, that uh, you'll see on the, on the, the next image, um, which I think was some of that budding modularity, uh, Rick and Cliff. I know, Rick, you, you had kind of taken this piece, um, but it was, um, I think we saw some of the power of the modularity by actually having separated that out. Even though we did it, I think at the time we did it because we were convinced we were going to be bricking a lot of these LPC 35s. Exactly. Uh, I mean, the root of trust. Part of the part of the the design goal there is that you have first in, uh, instruction integrity. Like I know what the first instruction is going to be, and I know how I got there, and I can trust that implicitly. And so that means, in this case, setting up the secure boot and permanently locking the device, which meant you actually have to test out that functionality. Um, and so that was the hey, we'll just make these as little add-in cards that are low pin count. Uh, you can't really use it outside of the system, 
right? Like it has to be plugged into something to get power and, and other useful signals. And like the debug header isn't, or the, the uh, SWD header isn't even there to be able to attach a, a, a programmer module to it. You, you have to do that through the expansion connector, but it meant it was a very low complexity board. It was very simple so that we could make a bunch of these very inexpensively. We also could rework them if we needed to, as we destroy uh, destroy parts. And like, I do actually have a small collection of bricked parts from when we later did do exactly what we thought we were going to do. So, um, you know, th that was the initial thought was more on the, like, I'm going to have to do destructive testing um, where everything else on the Gemini board was a, there's no reason we would do any destructive testing. We just think that this is probably what we're going to use. Oops, that's not what we actually ended up using. <laughs> and also, I ended up doing destructive testing accidentally. Right, yeah, I was, I was going to point that out. <laughs> uh, so, um, but th these were both uh, very, I think, educational boards and really beginning to see some of the power of being able to iterate quickly. Um, then starting in early 2021, um, we had, a, a Cliff mentioned that when we did these first two, we, I had no full-time double E's of the company. Um, we were added a bunch in uh, in early 2021. And Eric, I feel like the, the, this next board, um, which is the, the the power module for Game One, I feel like this was I'm probably getting the chronology wrong here, but I feel like this was definitely one of those first things where you feel like we have to have the ability to power this thing on from a stock power supply. We cannot rely on a bus bar to power this thing on. Um, I, I do think with the history of this board. I think there's one additional piece of context here that's important, which is that if you think about the years that we're saying, so. Gemini happened in late 2020. Um, real engineers, real electrical engineers showed up in 2021. And uh, both of these years were pretty much the worst electronic supply chain disruption uh, I've ever seen. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so like in the case of Gemini, we were redesigning the thing repeatedly right before it went to fab because the parts were, we were playing whack-a-mole trying to find any parts that were in stock and would stay in stock. Like we couldn't get connectors it wasn't just integrated circuits so yeah um it's it's been really entertaining <laughs> yeah and then it was a big constraint on obviously that, that we had to be and it, it was nice to have that agility to be able to switch things up but unfortunate that we had to we had to take advantage of it quick shout out to some of our ops people who really went the distance with getting some of those parts and just like doing magic mm-hmm Yep. Yeah, and if you haven't yet, a uh, great one in the, the back catalog of Oxide and Friends is uh, Kate Hicks on all of the magic that she and her ops team pulled to uh, resolve some of the supply chain issues. So, it, it, Eric, this board, as I recall, like this was something that you did very shortly after arriving at Oxide. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, it was. Uh, I kind of looked at the, the Gimlet board design, and I'm like, huh, how are we going to power this on a bench? <laughs> Is anybody is there like some dongle somebody has and it's like oh oh okay I'll I'll go make something I'm gonna make one of those how about yeah. that and so I picked the uh, yeah the, the mating connectors for these particular things like they're very inexpensive but they're insanely hard to get sometimes because they're basically all bespoke ordered from Amphenol or whatever and so you have this uh, this lovely lead time you have to deal with. But basically, I threw this thing together of, okay, I'm going to put a right angle connector on here, and I'm going to put the biggest freaking Phoenix terminal block I can get <laughs> my hands on, apparently. You know, it always looks smaller in the catalog, right? And I didn't bother making a 3D model of it. 
and then I, I put my... a current sense resistor and soldered it all together. And I'm like, oh, good. Now we have a way of powering up the boards. I, I think my favorite for this for this board generation, though, is the fact that every one of these had to be trimmed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So oh. <laughs> it was originally designed to have a straight connector on it. But then I realized I couldn't really get the straight connectors very easily. And we wanted right angle. And the right angle bore or connector hangs down from the board edge a little bit. And so that interfered with the board. And so I took some uh, some metal snips, some tin snips, and sheared <laughs> the edge off of every one of these boards by hand, which is why they're looking all a little janky if you look yeah, at so, them. Yeah, every one of these on the power blade side of it has a not quite straight edge. <laughs> but this is a good example of a board. That, I mean, this was a rather essential board for us. I mean, this is a I, small, This may be the very, board we made the most board. of. Yeah, like, we've been we load bearing. Yeah. Yeah. Turns out. Yeah, I mean, every gimlet we've powered up until the point where we got them in a rack has used one of these, right? So, yeah, I totally. I made a newer version, which is much more svelte, which is later on in the album. But yeah, this one was the. It has it has served its purpose well. It has, and it has been. It, it, it to me, it's like one of these where the ability to make our own board and to do it quickly was really important. Like, I'm not sure like, without this board, it's. I, I don't want to contemplate it. it. Just gets it gets nasty. I mean, you're dealing with like, I don't know what we would have done. It would have been a big mess. Um, well, and, and I mean, I remember sitting there uh, during bring up in 2021 in October at the uh, at our the facility, like hand soldering these things together so that we had we had things to power up our first units. Yeah, they're that important. I mean, they are this this board is is uh, every gimlet up until very recently was uh, had one of these attached to it. So a really really important board. And then uh, in the next image, is that the same rev, um, Eric? You just got the. Yeah, uh, I got a little. Uh, it was late night, and I got a little loopy with the uh, the markings because, of course, I got the silk screen wrong. So the plus and minus, which are you can see very faintly blacked out on the board next to the connector, were backwards. So I had to uh, draw it on top of the connector, which is why that's we great. Have well, so and this is another thing that I love. <laughs> So, so we have an idea for it, and then we throw it into KiCad or OrCad. No, it's KiCad. And, KiCad, yeah. And then uh, it sounds like in some cases, or in all cases, maybe are we we sending it to one place? We're getting back the PCB, and then soldering it ourselves. Or are there other cases where folks are kind of putting the chips down as well? We've we've done both, and we'll get like some of the boards coming up were assembled somewhere. Yeah, um, but but these these like these and the spy mucks that we'll get to next are were all hand assembled by us. This actually came up in chat, and like one of the points that I made there was, it takes a surprisingly large amount of effort to prepare all of the data that a third party assembly house needs to make a board for you. So if your total quantity of boards is like a dozen. Yeah, and you're not putting one of the four thousand ball BGAs that's coming up in the photo album, but I, you know, we'll we'll get to that when we get to that. Uh, it's almost faster to just solder it yourself if you've got you know people that are willing. Yeah, these take me about ten minutes. Yeah, and that's I mean that's where you know as we go through these, you'll see some of the more complicated ones with higher bomb count. We had somebody else do because there's a kind of a tipping point for sure. But like a lot of these are like eight parts or ten parts, and it's just easier to just stick. You know, you can buy whatever you can scrounge off the internet, and you know, stick them in your lab. So, and the exciting thing about the pick and place, and so I, is it, it changes the sort of tip over point for this. 
Right. Correct. Yeah, it, it gives us a lot more complexity that we can do on our own effectively without going to a supply house and without going to a to a board assembly house at all. Um, I also love this uh, and you know a theme that you definitely saw on on Gemini, and we will see this throughout these boards. Even part of what none of these boards will ever ship to a customer. These are boards that we only use for ourselves. And I have to say, I love like the jokes and the art and the, you know, I, I think it's, it kind of reminds me of like the nose cone art um, during World War II. It's kind of like, it, it, I, I really, you see a lot of personality on a lot of these boards. You certainly see it here. Uh, speaking of personality, I think we this, and Nathaniel, I think this, this next board, I think was your first board, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, this is my first board here. This was one of those where, um, you know, at a, so, somewhere along the design path, we realized that um, we wanted to, uh, we needed a multiplexer. We had this like multiplexer circuit in uh, that the SP, which is, you know, our the little ARM processor, and then the AMD processor are going to share a flash part so that we can do attestation and that kind of thing ourselves. And so we have this like, you know, it's not that complicated, but the kind, there's, you know, an analog MUX in there and, um, you know, so, some level translation and some other stuff. And so, uh, we we really wanted to be able to prototype that. We also had changed the flash from what was used on the Gemini board um, at some point, and so it was like we really need something to uh, to actually prototype this. Um, and so so we built uh, we built this guy in order to do that. He kind of had um, the the circuit that that we intended to put on the gimlet. So I, I kind of took the gimlet schematic out of ORCAD and dropped it into KiCad. And, um, you know, put a few other little things on there so we could, uh, you know, get in with jumpers and change things and, um, and do that. And, and like, I think this turned out to be a fairly valuable, uh, piece because we realized like there were some issues with that circuit. And, uh, so you you can see, uh, you know, if you go to the next picture, um, Rick had, uh, (laughs) Rick, Rick had, um, a lot of opportunity to do some rework. (laughs) And uh, I got, you know, some feedback that 0402 resistors aren't fun for everyone. Um, and so um, that was, but, you know, like uh, on this board, for example, we could only, we couldn't find uh, leaded flash parts. So we had to put a BGA on. And so like the, uh, the U, probably U4 there, uh, kind of in the middle is a square BGA part. And that's the only flash part that we could buy that was in the same family um, and the right size. And so we just like we did that. And so I did that in my lab with a stencil and, you know, and uh, a little toaster oven reflow. And I think, I mean, in this board, I think is is a really interesting example where we're really trying to explore something very, very specific, like one very uh, small but important implementation detail that we want to explore different alternatives. We want to and the ability to get this thing spun quickly was really important and then it was really important because it would also allow the software to be developed and so in addition to exploring the electrical characteristics and so on we could actually get the software developed long ahead of time uh, ahead of actually having an actual game in hand well in this case it wasn't even the software that we were concerned about it was uh, like w- sharing a q spy a quad spy uh flash part has some interesting analog challenges because some a fair number of the the IO lines become bidirectional. And so how you actually mux that, how you do level translating on it when in our case, I think it's the AMD side uses 1.8 volt uh quad spy signaling and the 
SP uses 3.3 and you wanted to switch between them. We, we just had enough questions about how it works and would it work correctly that that's why we built it. And yeah. then I took like, and, and actually hooked it up to an AMD reference system. I, I removed the actual flash, uh, like the, the, uh, BIOS or EFI flash part from an AMD reference board. And then brought that out as uh, to the AMD quad spy connector on this board. And that's why mine has all the wires on it is because ultimately we discovered it didn't work the way we thought it did. And, you know, we bodged around it until we actually understood what was happening at the analog level at and made sure the digital level. And like, we got to a point where we said, okay, it'll work at 33 megahertz. Most of that is actually limited by the fact that I've got this running over a whole bunch of extra wire that won't exist in the real design, but we're confident enough that I can actually boot the x86 machine through this MUX and I can switch the MUX and have the SP take over. And it was very valuable to, you know, it seems like a almost trivial amount of logic and, and parts to put together, but it saved us a huge amount of effort in terms of we would have had to respawn Gimlet, yeah, the say, entire did, did, server board. Yeah, yeah. Yep. This saved us a board spin. Because it would have been really grisly to get this wrong. Well, and I think notably the the gimletlet, which we haven't gotten to yet, existed at this point, which is where like this became one of the gimletlet's you know first couple of peripherals. Yeah, so let's go two images ahead. We'll come back to the neck in a bit, but I, I do want to go to the gimletlet because this is a really important board for us. So the, the, this green square board is, uh, and, and you know, this is one of those I think Cliff where some of the things that we'd been kind of you've been saying and we've been thinking like this board really expresses kind of all of that that wisdom where you were like i know what i need now i need a board that has like i don't want to have all this other stuff that gemini has i don't need any of this i really need a service processor and i need io and i'm just gonna go design this thing and Cliff, how long did it take you to go from an initial idea to having this board out to the board house? Oh, um, sending it out for fabrication, I think, was within. Well, so this is so there was an earlier gimlet lit that was designed to fit on a NIC test circuit that that only existed for a very brief period of time. Uh, this was the follow up when I sort of uh, rage drafted the board because <laughs> the thing I wanted didn't exist, which is how I wind up doing most of my things. But uh, this was probably within 24 or 48 hours, I think, and then we had to wait for it to ship, of course, back to us from the board house, and then and then we had to wait for them all, because I, I, I can only fit one of these on the $8 hot plate I use for reflow, so uh, we had to uh, had to wait for those to go through. But honestly, if I knew we were going to be making more than... I mean, these boards are everywhere at Oxide now, and if I had yes. known that that was going to happen, I probably would not have set the part number on the uh, inventory label to a long no. <laughs> right. Yes, that's right. I, and actually, it's, I, and I'm pretty sure that Gimletlet 2, which is later on here, I'm not even sure that it's got a different silk. So, yeah, it is pretty oh, no, funny. It, I don't think it knows. Right. Uh, but this board, and I, I mean, this board is so useful, Cliff, just to your point. Um, so, this is a photo of where I was doing some work. That's a temp sensor down there that we're not using, but I was using those test some other stuff. Uh, these things are workhorses for us. And we are, so if you go back to that SpyMux board, the SpyMux board was designed to plug into this thing. And you, th th that's going to be a theme where we are um, designing things where we can, and you'll see that, that we've got lots of Gimlet. Gimlet lets 
doing all sorts of things. The the photo of the the gimlet uh, later on the black silk screen that maybe Matt will go into because we actually uh, had we we did have that mass assembled because we didn't. Cliff, you'd assemble this one on your own, but um, we, it became clear that these are going to be really useful and we're going to use them in lots of places and we're going to make a ton of them. Um, it felt like the eight dollar hot plate maybe we could uh save you the burden there of doing that but these things are just in use all over the place and and notably they're in heavy use in our lab right now just acting like a relay to turn gimlets on and off yes uh, because we have because like we they exist and we have a full software stack and debugger all like you know targeted to this so it was it, easy right it was easy and the the, the photo of the the gimlet two years later on is the one that i was using today to do some some work on the ltc 4282 and that i literally like had to like get everything unplugged so i could take a photo of it these things are used so frequently and the well, other thing cliff the other thing i love about this is the leds on this thing because there's still the one thing you kept from gemini is there are four LEDs on this, which are actually, I find very useful oh, for yeah. communicating purpose. So the, the, the gimlet lets that we use to only as power supply controllers have a different flashing sequence than just our stock gimlet. I mean, I feel like you can tell people that well, and done kernel level bring up on a system by how many LEDs they design in that don't have very many drivers between them and the CPU that have to work before you can turn the LED on them. Right. Because like this is invariably the first thing that happens when we're bringing up a board. And um, the other thing I wanted to point out on this, uh, just in terms of like, you know, if, if any of y'all in the audience wind up doing something similar, if you've done embedded electronics before, you might recognize the connectors. Those are PMOD pinout connectors. That's a standard ish that Digimont developed a while ago for FPGA boards. But um, after Gemini, which had a bunch of custom connectors and pinouts and fancy stuff, that never had anything plugged into them because we don't have time to make cables for every new connector under the sun. Uh, we used standard pinouts here, which means that the sensors at the bottom of the gimlet that or gimletlet that Brian's plugged in there, those are just off-the-shelf eval boards that ship yeah. with the pinout. You just plug them in. So um, that I think was a big win. Um, huge not, win. Not the best. Huge win. And the, the pinouts are. You know, it's a, it's a standard. So somebody designed it that it wasn't you, and it probably doesn't exactly meet your needs, but it's been pretty good. The only, it, it, the, and I just view this as a lovable tick of this board, that if you're holding the board right side up, such as the handwriting is right side up, the pinout for the I squared C is actually upside down, which I think is, so in other words, that pinout that you're seeing there is actually, invert. if you look at I squared C4 or I squared C3 on the bottom, that is the, that's the inverse of the actual pinout. Yeah, um, uh, it's, it's Gwent at the legend, one of the pins in the legend is square, and that's intended to yeah, be the square thing on the connector, but that was way too subtle, and I should have done something different. Well, I mean, I get, I think that you did this, you were saying 24 hours, I think you did this in like 10 and a half. It was I just jaw-dropping how fast this was and to get it back. And then I also love, Cliff, the fact that you not only did all the I.O., but then you've got these GPIOs in the middle there that are super, is, that, that's what makes this, I mean, Cliff, you described this when you did it, like, this is going to be a Swiss Army knife. And it really is a Swiss Army knife. We use it all the time, everywhere. I mean, we've had this thing connected to about everything. I mean, you've had this connected to, like, uh, Renaissance Power eval boards, and I mean, just all kinds of stuff, right? For sure. Right now, at home, it's connected to Chonky Boy, um, which is the that 100 amp 
100 amp demo board from LTC. Uh, so yeah, no, these things are on. Yeah, we use these for for everything. I see it again. Lit. And in fact, actually, if you go to the next image. This is well, another. Just yeah, before sorry, we leave that, it, yeah. like on the PMOD thing, like, it is a standard. It's not great as any sort of standardized interface to ends up being. It's not exactly what you want, like Cliff said. But one of the really versatile things here is it brings out a lot of very primitive buses, and we brought out a lot of them. And so it's given us not only the ability to do a whole bunch of experimenting because, hey, it's easy. Um, you know, we, we don't, it, like, these are all 0.1 inch pin headers. It's, you know, you can grab jumper cable, like little jumper wires off the shelf and just hook up pretty much anything. But there's also quite the ecosystem of little PMOD boards here and there. Um, to, to try things out and it, it's just turned out to be extraordinarily versatile which turned out to be the thing that we actually needed like that was the lesson from the original gemini was okay well not only is it about breaking it into smaller chunks that we can evaluate individually but making the interfaces between those chunks be very 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 versatile and very simple um, so that we can adapt to just whatever and you can have i mean as a result like if if for those folks that are doing work on the service processor, on, on Hubris, the operating system there, if you've got a Gimwitlet, uh, you can do, uh, there's a lot of work you can do on the operating system with just a Gimwitlet, without even any necessarily any peripherals. So it's, uh, it is a very, very useful building block. Um, so you may, actually, I mean, if you want to go, I don't know, I can go back the other way to talk about the, the Gimwitlet NIC um, plugs into that, that NIC carrier there. Um, and this is actually a board I confess I've not actually. This is I think the only board on here that I've not actually used um, because these we just got uh, we did a rev on recently. But this is this is an Arian board, isn't it? Oh, I think this was Matt. Oh, it's Matt. Oh, nice. This is a Matt board. You can see my initials Matt, on it. Matt board. Well, that's a great segue to Matt. Yeah. So this was um, so it was funny when you were talking about the game that the very first thing I did at Oxide uh, was not any engineering work. It was to order like 50 gimlet lits from a company that would assemble them for us. Um, and that was my project to buy goodwill at the company by making sure that everyone could get a gimlet lit on their desk since they didn't need to be lovingly hand assembled. Also, you wanted one. Yes, yeah, so right. I specifically I wanted one on my desk. <laughs> I would like to do to work. It was also good. And and let's just be clear: you bought yourself an. I mean, I, I whatever. How, I mean, you could you could have done horrific things after that, Matt, and you would have always been the one who brought us Gimletlets. So I, it, it definitely worked. And it, it was fun because like they landed before our meetup, right? So then people could yeah, come right. by and take take a Gimletlet home, which was fun. Yeah, and that was with a, a company called CircuitUp, which is actually one of the few companies that will take CAD files and bring them directly to assembly. So you don't have to do like export the bomb and then send it to Excel and then go back and forth, um, which is very CircuitHub, nice. CircuitHub, the makers of Pick Place Podcast, which is another, yes. another one of our favorite podcasts. So we always want to give them a little bit of business when we, we possibly can. Yes. Uh, so the NIC is... Uh, what it looks like, it basically breaks out two Ethernet ports. So back when Cliff was designing the Gimlet Lit, he very wisely broke out the RMII, which is the Ethernet Mac interface, onto the kind of beige-ish big square header that you can see on the left of those pictures. Um, and so the NIC plugs into that and then has a, a three-port switch, which you can see in the very center of the NIC. And this was actually based on an older design by Arian, I believe, um, brought up to run on the Gimlet Lit hardware. And so this lets you connect it to the network, um, which is great because it turns out that connecting stuff to the network is important for a lot of things that we're doing. 
Yeah, and this has been, and actually, I you know, I say this is the only board I actually not use, but I, in part because I didn't realize that we had a bunch of them out here. Uh, we've got a ton of them, so I need to start using this one at home because this is a very, it is very, very handy to be able to go from to Ethernet from a from a gimlet LED. Yeah, and the other fun thing about this board is that it's it mimics what we have on the actual servers, so it's not quite the same uh, setup, but. This final switch, the KSZ8463, is the same one that we use in the servers. And so being able to configure that on the bench top and make sure that it works and make sure that all the VLANs are set up appropriately uh, and all that kind of good stuff is very useful. Yeah, this is worth noting in terms of where the server bodies are buried. So it's important to us to have redundant uh, management cabling through the backplane and redundant management servers at the top of the rack and so forth. But finding a microcontroller with two Ethernet interfaces is really, really hard. Uh, so every uh, service processor has an Ethernet switch next to it, which is the thing you see there on that red board. And uh, that, that lets us pretend we have two ports. It's not the best thing, but boy, it sure did get the job done. It did get the job done. And yeah, it, it was uh, it, uh, tough to find. I mean, it, it, and this is, I think, Cliff, I remember early on asking you, how are you actually doing this parameterized search parametric search of microcontrollers looking for all the functionality that we need. Uh, and I, I think, as I recall, your answer was just like, yeah, you just kind of, I just a lot of uh, having done this before and kind of a lot of data sheet reading. I mean, there's, there's no, uh, it, it, was, it sounds like a pretty painful process. So we could not I mean, find. Painful is in the eye of the beholder. I go through the DigiKey microcontroller section every so often just for fun on a weekend morning. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just because you know, this is what I do. So, uh, but yeah, there's one of the most important things I learned, I think, the first time I worked with actual electrical engineers is that there isn't a trick. It, yeah. it really is just a giant market. You can get on vendors' mailing lists so that you find out about their new parts, which can sometimes help. And uh, I, I worked with a guy, Ed Keys, who for a while had a interesting new microcontrollers mailing list where he would digest this and send it out. And that was amazing. Yeah. Uh, what happened to that? I, I think he got bored and moved to a different job. But, oh, Trat. Yeah, that would be a, that'd be a great mailing list. Uh, to be totally, able. yeah. So, yeah, part, uh, sorry, Rick, go ahead. No, part, part searching in general oh, yeah. is always a pain. And you just you start learning how to navigate the websites very quickly and trying to home in and figure out how they classify things. So there's there's no trick other than spending way too many hours on Google and TI and analog devices and all these other websites, learning how to navigate their stuff. Well, it is uh, it's deeply appreciated, and I think it's also just important that like if that, that there is no trick other than doing that kind of that that hard work. Um, so cool. then moving forward um, to the so we got the Gimletlet. This is the first gen Gimletlet, and then we get to the 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 Dimlet, which I, Nathaniel again. This is another board that I've got great emotional attachment to. I am so appreciative for this board. I, um, so do you want to describe kind of the genesis of, of the Dimlets? Yeah, well, so Dimlet was one of these, you know, like in chat, people had been talking about, you know, problem, like what we're, what we're going to, you know, struggle with to bring things up. And like, there are certain things about our server sled that are like difficult to prototype, right? And we're certainly doing something kind of strange with, um, with the, the SPD EPROMs on the DIMMs such that our, our service processor is proxying those so that um, we, we basically can see on the control plane side how, what, what we have in there and, uh, and then fake that back out to uh, the AMD. But the side effect of that whole circuit means that like 
the AMD processor isn't actually connected to the SPD EPROMs on all the DIMMs, and it it definitely needs that information to boot. And so, like one of the like critical path tasks for our team was we need to have that proxy working so that we can actually boot a sled. And um, it, at least at that point in time, we thought booting would come a little faster than booting maybe ended up coming uh, <laughs> for unrelated reasons. But um, in chat one day, it was just like you know. Should we, shouldn't we make a board that connects to these PMOD things and has a couple of DIM slots that we can go talk to the SPD EPROMs? And well, it's, so in particular, I had been looking, I had, and I had taken a couple swings at this because I'm like, this board has to exist. I'm just not finding it. Like what I just, want yeah, is doesn't. a board that 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 holds a DIM, and I want to not speak. DDR, I do not need to speak. I don't need to treat this thing as DRAM. I only want to talk to the little bug on there, which is this little SPD chip, tiny, tiny chip on there, which you speak to, which is the serial process detect chip. You speak to it via I squared C. I'm like, I just want something that knows how to speak I squared C to a DIM. And I, I mean, Nathaniel, doesn't it feel like that should exist? I mean, I just spent a lot. And it's, I, and I, it's surprising. Yes. Times. I mean, I think. You know, dim slots, I think, end up in, you know, I'm sure that people have made something like this before, uh, but maybe not out in the public domain. And I feel like your, you know, your your hobbyist kind of engineer is not often looking at putting DDR4 dims on a <laughs> on a circuit. And, yes. and like, I mean, I wouldn't really want to do a DDR4 layout for this, but like this board is goofy because there are in that whole dim, there are only like 10 pins soldered at all. And, right. and and about half of them are for mechanical stability. So we basically just have the I squared C pins and power to the the SPD EPROMs, and that that's it. And that's it. and then and then like we have a level translator and some other stuff in there, a little I squared C buffer, uh, because the the you know we have to level translate from the three v three IO on the on the uh, gimletlet. But this was incredibly clutch because it allowed us to write all of that software, write the SPD proxy without actually have before we went out to do bring up. So we had that whole proxy could be tested completely independently with two gimlet. Let's I think it's doing a, actually a gimletlet to a Gemini with a the 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 dims hanging off of the gimletlet and then using the Gemini as an I squared C initiator. To, and so we were able to, to actually simulate all of this and so i right. mean and and this board was incredibly clutch for it but i think that is a good point about like this is not exactly a hobbyist kind of a like I mean, adafruit it, is I, not going to carry this one right yeah like oh would you like to add dd4 dr4 to your design like no please don't like none of us really do so um the, the other thing like these are also really portable like i i think i remember you tweeting from the hotel room there in yes. minnesota that it was like you know here i sit at my desk working on you know this like proxy thing and it's like you know you you had all the things that you needed and they like fold up and put in your backpack and our server sled definitely does not do that yeah it was great to be able to do that i know i felt like i was uh i was channeling my inner trammel uh trammel hudson's kind of constantly doing this where he's kind of like uh tweeting out from a train or what have you or he's doing uh but it was to th th be able to to have that portable to have the software because the software and it, like a lot of these things like the the, the spy mux issue we were talking about earlier this is one of these things it's like if this software doesn't work you have nothing 
Like the thing cannot boot without the software working. So all of these little bits need to work and being able to prototype this ahead of time was just incredibly clutch. And I am very, very grateful for Dim Woods. I'm, I'm not even sure if anyone's ever, anyone else has used them, but I, don't I think so. I think you might, you, I mean, I think I put them, you know, I, I did like a read or something so I could make sure that it worked, but I think you're the one who's used them the most, but I know I you also, you spent, you spent the time looking for them and they just like, these things don't exist. The they other, exist. the other fun thing about that board is that in typical I squared C fashion, the I squared C bus translator that I use there um, has rules about which side is higher and which side is lower that I didn't notice. Um, and so that part is actually uh, installed backwards and then a jumper, <laughs> a little tiny jumper wire flown across it. And there's a trace cut because uh, the A side and the B side have to, you know, they have a specific voltage relationship that I messed up. Uh, and, and that sounds like the sort of thing that like, oh, well, Nathaniel made a mistake. But no, I swear to God, the I squared C data sheets change after I design the board. I go back and I read the data sheet again, and which side is high has changed now. <laughs> I, this I, is. But, I, I wish that I could say that this was probably not my fault. At least on the Dimlet one, it was my fault. I, I missed it. Well, these are super easy mistakes to make. And I think that part of another reason that these boards are so important, these proto boards are so important is because, so the, I mean, the, the stakes are lower. I mean, if if we, if that had been unreworkable, it's just not that big of a deal. It's not like, right. versus and if we were delayed not being, having the SPD proxy or these other, or certainly if we had, if we would have, it would have cost us a board spend had we not done the Spymox board. Uh, that stuff is really, really expensive. And one of the benefits too of like, we hand like I hand built this right, so I I didn't build ten of them and then go test them. I built one and got it working, and then did the mods before I actually built everything. And so that's one of the like one of the balance things that you get to is when you have someone else building everything. That that sometimes means if depending on your yeah. level of confidence, you you have a lot more uh, potential for rework, um, especially if the design is fairly nascent. Yeah, and you've got it's very nice to be able to realize like, oh, I've only I went this one is wrong. Now I know what I need to go do on yeah. these others, and I haven't lost all of them. Yeah, right. Uh, and yeah, uh, cut, cutting the trace is a lot easier when you don't install the chip first. You know, like those kinds of things. Yeah, I don't want to blow by the point here that uh, you know that you're the only consumer of this, Brian. That like this has become so easy for us, or easy for the world at large, that we can have these one-offs that are just for one really tactical but important piece of work. Um, whereas I'm sure, you know, five or 10 years ago, that would just be completely untenable. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I wonder if this might be an interesting time to talk about tooling, because one of the things that strikes me about this is that this is possible because we have access to very high quality tools that can be used by anybody in the company. And I'm referring specifically to KiCad here, which has gotten better and better and better over the last five or however many years. Um, I'm wondering if you guys can talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think my general preference is where possible to use KiCad because it's super easy to share the designs. And uh, I mean, it's, it's the tool that I'm fairly familiar with. Um, so like all of these little designs have been done in KiCad um, with maybe a couple of exceptions. I think uh, one of the BGA parts that we're going to show a little bit was done in ORCAD for practical reasons because uh, we, are, we already had the footprint there and redrawing a 4,000 ball footprint. Um, you know, is is not something that we're, you know, looking to do right now when we're trying to get these things out quickly. Um, 
you know, KeyCAD is is awesome. I hope that you know it continues to grow. We continue to plan to use it, and uh, I I would I would love to say you know in in some number of years it has enough features so that we can like nail our you know DDR ten design or whatever we're on um, there in <laughs> KeyCAD. So, but it, it's I mean KeyCAD is like above and beyond uh you know like if you've used eagle i think KeyCAD is uh like totally equivalent there yeah i think that's i think that's probably the best comparison like there's people who have been using altium for years get mad at KeyCAD for justifiable reasons but like KeyCAD feels a lot like where eagle was for me a few years ago and i don't know like it's it's nice that these tools are universally available now absolutely and i think it's also nice that they know that you, it to give folks who may be coming from the Altium side an opportunity to do a small board to get to know the tool a bit too. Oh, sure. Feel feel like you're having to learn the tool under duress and adding KeyCAD to everyone's arsenal such that we can, I mean, I think in the limit, certainly we hope in the limit we are using KeyCAD for all boards, but as you said, maybe DDR10. I mean, yeah, you know, there, there are things we need, right. And, and there are, uh, there are like workflow and layout efficiency things that we just like need to get supported there. Um, but you know, like the Spymux was my first KeyCAD design. So, you know, I've done board designs in a couple of different packages before and, you know, KeyCAD was pretty easy to like hop right in and, you know, there's decent uh, documentation online. So when you can't figure out what you're trying to do, uh, you can get out there and do it. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so then, then the the next image. This is the the, the modern gimlet lid. So this is the. I, I think that the silk is the same, but we use the the, the black solder mask. And uh, this is the one that that uh, Matt, you did this when you first came to the company. And I just in terms of of getting all the details of getting this thing assembled, um, and and having Circuit do that. Um, and this is this is what we just have in place. Everywhere and again, this is an action shot. You can see that I squared C four is actually plugged in this in this one because this one's actually doing work. Um, and like like all of these. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure this picture was taken during the great uh, semiconductor shortage where we couldn't find a power supply, which is why it's wired in uh, with the red and black wires you can see in the top of the picture. Yeah, so this is like I think that this is my gimlet led at home. I took this photo today, but yeah, this is an early early gimlet led um where we didn't have the regulators right because there's no regulator on this i think i think still i, I i've got i i went and installed them on all the boards i could find but i didn't probably find the you, one at your house you did so. not come into my house which is for the best really i just i know that i um it, it, there are otherwise there'd be commentary on rick has insisted that i not leave the room with certain of my components plugged in and i rick i'd like you to know that i have adhered to that i've been i was using the the DC electronic load a lot this weekend, and every time I left the room, I unplugged it. Rick is convinced I'm going to burn my house out of this thing, and I'm not arguing with him. Um, so the and I get these; so these are a little bit out of order. So the 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 BGA here is actually going to go with a later board. So we're going to come back to this. Sorry, Eric, I got that one a bit out of order. Um, the uh, okay, the next one. This is a another action shot. This is a, a, a gimlet lit that does have the regulator. And then, do you want to talk about that breakout board? Nathaniel? Oh sure, yeah. So we use we use these uh, Samtech connectors uh, because they're they're not tenth inch headers. They're a little more uh, they're a little smaller and they're keyed nicely, which is has been really nice for uh, you know use. But like when you need to break those things out, then you need special connectors and special pins. And so uh, at us, we had these in place for sidecar bring up. Sidecar uses these. Uh, that's the picture that they're attached to the board that they're attached to there. Um, 
but we we had uh, various reasons to need to get in there and then all of our i squared c buses and stuff uh, come to these headers and so it's like useful to be able to put a salier or something on these buses and uh so you know, I was digging around trying to figure out what what kind of thing we could make as an adapter that would get this out to like things that mere mortals can use, like tenth inch headers. And uh, I think uh, Robert Keith got uh, recognized. I, I I did not find the right angle Samtech connector, and I was like, boy, it sure would be nice if I had a right angle Samtech connector for this. And of course, Robert, you know, Church of Samtech um, <laughs> was like, hey, it's this other it's this other part number right here. And so, you know, I went to Samtech and, you know, you can sample them and you can buy them and they were in stock. And so, you know, we, we bought a, a bunch of those and I think I built about a hundred of those at this point. And these are, so, so the, and then the next image is actually zooming in on that. So these are actually two of these things together. The great thing is you can actually put these little dongles, you can kind of connect them and boy, the ability to break out immediately I squared C or to break out some of these signals and get them on a scope or get them on a logic analyzer or take them somewhere else. Or I think in the case of the past image, I think we're actually using the gimbal to drive I squared C um, onto the board. Well, I mean, it looks like a Salier too. Yeah, so. and then a Salier too. Yeah, so we yeah. actually were using, that's why we were using two of them there. Uh, incredibly useful. Um, and it, it, and then it's also been a nice little standard to have that you know that any one of our buses is going to have this header on it, so you can immediately get a, a an analyzer on there. Really, right? Really and handy. and the pinouts written on the back, which is handy, um, for that stuff. So, and, and yeah, you know, I, it's like kind of a happy accident that you can kind of like do dongle inception with these. Like I had put the 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 uh, Samtech connector on to allow them to be a pass through. Um, thinking that like you might want a programmer and a um, and a salier connected, but like then because you can you know because we have the other genders uh, Samtech connector, you can just start stacking them like we did there in that picture, and it's like you can uh, you can kind of build a ladder as as many as you can mechanically support at that point. And I don't know what you'd do with that, but it was it, that was not like uh, a design criteria going in, but it's kind of a happy accident. Well, and this is, I mean, a good example of what we do with it, where you, you're using one of these headers to to drive it and another to actually see what's going on. Um, so uh, it's very, very useful to have. Um, this next board, we're going to come back to. Another one we're going to come back to. This is the, the, the BPD board. I Normally, it would be attached to my donglet, but my donglet was, my car was broken into. In addition to my laptops, uh, whoever took my laptops also got a donglet. So we'll talk about donglet in a second. Um, the, I then this is the, the, this is the ignition. Uh, the next one is the, uh, the ignition lit. Yeah. So right. this one, yeah, this one's Arians. And so we have, um, we have an ice 40, um, FPGA kind of out at the very front end of our system that, that is essentially a power switch with a like low speed network connect to it. And, uh, yeah, the, uh, Matt's saying this one is a rare, I, I think there are possibly three of these in existence. Um, it might just be that it might be just the two, one that Arian has and one that I have. Um, but this was this was super useful. This has got the FPGA, and you can connect it up to a gimletlet, of course. And uh, this has kind of the whole ignition circuit, which Arian has used to prototype all of the communications protocols. Um, but I also use this to write the FPGA spy interface and get that all running before we ever had uh, gimlet hardware. And we it's use this little more context. So. Uh... You know, the, we've got three different physical networks, probably more, but at least three. We've got the very high-speed network. We've got the management network that that Matt uh, 
you know, Ethernet ports we're plugging into. And then the ignition network is, as Nathaniel says, for very low-level power control. So uh, if we want to turn the whole thing off, including, you know, the thing running Hubris, we use ignition. Right. That's right. And very important to actually get the, be able to have a development vehicle for this. And then this thing plugs into the PMODs, right? This thing does plug into the PMODs, so you can get a spy interface out there. And then uh, on this one, you can see all of the, uh, we have all the SMA connectors, those big gold connectors down at the bottom connected, uh, installed. And so you can, that's where the, you know, the, the low speed um, 8B, 10B stuff uh, can go. And so the way Arian prototyped this is he connected that to uh, an ICE or a, uh, a ECP5 lattice dev board. Um, and then he can kind of prototype the whole sidecar subsystem there. Um, where I use this, I just put the spy core that I wrote into that FPGA and then got it talking across that um, PMOD interface to the SP. And so we were able the the Hubris already had good spy support, so it was pretty easy to like prototype all of that and get that running. Yeah. So we had that we had that ready to go back in back for bring up, which we needed because that was the sequencer is an ICE 40 on the gimlet and it does all the power control, the local power control. And you need to be able to have software tell it to turn the power on. Yeah, again, another one of these details that if you don't have this, you don't have you don't have power on. So it's very, very important, very important detail. Uh, Matt, I think these next couple of photos are yours. This is a, this is uh, your cursed gimlet config. It looks like was this a this is a Spymox. It looks like you've got an ROT carrier carrier and and a gimlet neck on there. Oh yes, this was me just uh, digging through my drawers and finding every board that I could plug into a gimlet uh, lit for a staged photo. Uh, but I think that the the interesting board here is the red one on the upper right, um, which has a green board plugged into it. So if you remember all the way at the beginning of the podcast, we talked about how the root of trust was built on its own standalone board, and then that would plug into another bit of hardware um, so that we could test some of the security features and risk lock breaking it and locking it up. And so that's the green board. And we had a bunch of those, uh, but with the dawn of the Gimlet Lit Rev2, which you see in this picture, those no longer plugged into it. Uh, so I spent you know a day or so and built the red board on the top right, which is the Gimlet Lit Carrier Carrier, uh, which takes the Gimlet Lit Carrier, plugs that in, and then adapts it to the PMOD connector so that it can plug into the Gimlet Lit. Um, and so that is you know two layers of, of daughter boards to get back to the root of trust connecting to the Gimlet Lit. Yeah, so Adam, if you're wondering what the gimlet let carrier carrier was, there you go. That's the uh, it, and this is but another been another very clutch board that uh, has enabled us to to use because we have got a ton of these. Matt, as you said, we got a, a bunch of these these little LPC fifty five boards. So very nice to be able to extend they to be able to continue to use those with a gimlet let. And then Matt, this, these next two photos are uh, I, I've seen these. So this is where you've taken uh, looks like a. Uh, a, a gimlet lit clearly, and then what do you? Is that speaking I squared C? Where's that? Or is that spy? That's yes, these spy. are action shots of using the gimlet lit in its role as kind of the universal Swiss Army knife for plugging into things. Uh, so the thing that it's connected to is the VSC seven four four eight network switch dev kit, which is obviously not something we made. You buy it from TI. It's uh, sandwiched in layers of like half inch thick acrylic. It's very impressive. It weighs like five pounds. Uh, but one of the things you can do with the chip is flip a couple of dip switches and switch it from booting from its internal Linux core to just coming up in a quiescent state where you can then configure it over SPY. So 
we have, uh, I made this terrible, terrible breakout cable, which goes from the ribbon cable into one of the PMOD connectors. Uh, and so with the dip switches in the right configuration, this, uh, the management switch comes up and then we configure it entirely from the gimlet. Um, and then it brings up the 54 some ethernet ports that are on the front of the switch, which you can kind of see in the other picture. Okay, Matt, this is another thing, by the way, that I have searched the universe for that I have not found is ribbon cable breakouts. Why? Because I mean, I'm going to guess that you made that yourself. I don't know why you would say that, Brian. <laughs> Child made it. <laughs> That's right. Um, you, so normally to break out a ribbon cable, you'd get, uh, you get like socket connectors and you could crimp those mid, mid, like mid connector and then use uh, cables coming out of there. But like, but, why is it not a product that takes a ribbon cable and breaks it out? I mean, it just feels like I've needed this. I, I mean, it's a bunch of a switch, and we've got we've got one. Adam, you and I got one that we we we, we took this hardware hacking course ages ago that had this that was given out as basically a, a, a kind of part of the course. That and I think the thing is so useful. Uh, anyway, I've not been able to buy them, and clearly, nor has Matt. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted to do this cleanly, then you would probably make like yet another gimlet lit daughter board, which just connected to the PMOD header and broke out a ribbon connector compatible plug. Um, but this was a, a quick and dirty hack job that worked for probably, it's been up for a year now, so it works great. Right. This also, is, uh... Those things probably aren't commercially available because there's somewhere on, what is there, like 40 conductors in that ribbon cable. I mean, that'd be a pretty impressive breakout board. I just wanted to bring out cable. I, I, I want what Matt has made here. Um, actually, yeah, and I, I, mean, I would even I would even buy Matt's. Adafruit does make some for smaller pin count, at least uh, IDC cables. Well, those I would are, take it those are insulation point. displacement IDC. The I use it for squid. I also feel like this <laughs> by just taking a patient's cable and chewing on it. Your own. Yeah, well, that which is clearly I, I'm not that sure did. how much super glue. Yeah, exactly how much super glue was uh, was sacrificed here. But uh, then we get to the, the the next one is definitely uh, a crowd favorite, um, Kludge dot two. Uh, Nathaniel, you want to talk about the origin of Kludge dot two? Oh yeah. So this was this was uh, you know we're we're talking about how to get our sled network booted and programmed and like. Um, it turns out, like, the only kinds of PC interfaces we actually have on the sled um, up until this point were that are, like, useful PC interfaces are uh, all of our, like, ST-Link and MCU-Link dongles and some UARTs. And so for a large portion of time, uh, many of us spent a lot of time putting RAM disks over a UART uh, with Xmodem. But like as we started thinking about what was going to be required on the manufacturing line, where we're going to try to make a bunch of these, um, that like doing an entire, I mean, we we had a few different things we looked at. We were trying to figure out how to get our SSDs programmed, and so like you can you can buy some adapters that you can plug M.2s into, and we tried those first. That was kind of our primary path, but. Our M.2s are, you know, industrial grade M.2s, and um, it's hard to find inexpensive dongles that will do programming. You can get big, like, fleet programming stations that will do, you know, many of them at a time. But we were so because so this is the idea here is that we would program the M.2s outside of the server, and then we would load the now programmed M.2s into the server, which felt like 
in the you know, this is another one of these things where it's like this must be like how hard can it be to find an M.2 programmer that well, works? It turns out it also well, you can. They just that our M.2s take a lot of power. Yeah, I mean that was so. So Joshua tried that actually. Like our primary path was going to be let's just set a computer up and put M, run M.2s through there. And like you know there were some things we had to go figure out. Like you know is it safe? Is it safe to hot plug those things? How are we going to deal with that? But at at the first point it was like let's just go get uh an m.2 to usb dongle or something and and try to program these and for the ones that we could uh locate that were reasonably priced and uh sourceable our m.2s uh tipped them over and and the m.2s wouldn't run in there so it that, really did not go well and adam i don't know were you involved at, 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 at i mean this is a very frustrating problem because this feels like it should be a non-problem it's like i just I've got my bits over here. I've got this M.2 over here, and I need to get the bits onto the M.2. Surely yeah. there's been a product that does this. And Yeah, no, I, I, I went down uh, some weird rabbit holes with Josh just looking for random solutions. And, and this, it should be noted, uh, was a, you know, he did cobble together a bunch of more or less off-the-shelf parts to kind of get to where the kluge.2 was but man was it horrible yeah, yeah. well and our our drive bays are deep so like that cause because we kind of we're expecting to be inside a a drive carrier and so e anything you find off the shelf is really painful to get aligned and and pull out and so like you can get it in there carefully but like then trying to get the thing out and so then thinking about our manufacturing line again and like, you know, having to have operators sit there, you know, the poor operator having to like fish the stupid thing out every time <laughs> right. after it's right. like, that's, that's not a great solution. And, and, you know, as you start thinking about this, you're like, well, you know, uh, on a lot of our bench setups, we've basically replaced a U.2 since they're all PCIe. We, we've pulled our little shark fin card out and we've been dropping in, you know, an Intel NIC and using that as a like useful computer interface since none of us have, uh, you know, 400 gigabit ethernet at our house or 200 gigabit ethernet at our house um and so you know it's like well what if we just made an extender that just extended pcie out the front and we can stick a nick in and so that's that was kind of the genesis for this and so that's unfortunate, my unfortunate but reasonable i, 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 I just I, emphasize that nathaniel it's like we it. we scrapped so much of the stuff that a standard server would have like people yes. would say why not just do this over usb we don't have usb Right. Like deliberately. Like we, we threw that overboard as we were leaving port. Right. And we don't have an RJ forty five jack, right? We have an XMX connector. We don't have any of these things. We have exactly what we need and nothing more. And, and maybe not less. quite <laughs> right. yeah, maybe not quite what we needed. And so in, in this case, so this was kind of the first version of this and like uh, I, you know, you can tell I'm not a mechanical engineer by the design of this thing. Um, I kind of like stuck it in my sled, but like I had an earlier sled, and you know the the later sleds had a slight mechanical change that wasn't accounted for in my in my sled, and it, it may have been a little cozy in my sled anyway. Uh, part of the problem was when I did this, I didn't actually have the whole sled put together, and uh, neglected a top piece that actually impinges on the slot a little bit. And so uh, we got these in and they didn't actually fit. And so um, I took a nibbler and basically nibbled the uh, top edge of this and then capped on taped it. And it's just a ground plane there. Um, what is a nibbler? Is a nibbler, is that a technical term? Or is it that it like is. It's, it's an actual tool. You can, 
No, it's a tool. You can look it up. But it, it basically takes a little bite out of metal. Um, and so my my nibbler is no longer sharp because it uh, <laughs> it, it ate a lot of fiberglass. But it, it takes a, a little. Point. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we did this and like and got it working. Like this this was provable. It, it like it worked. And so that you know we'll get to the you know our refinement on this because now you know this has turned out to be useful for uh, maybe a lot of other places that weren't just manufacturing. As it turns out, like in Iraq, uh, the front is kind of the only thing. Uh, if you ever need to get something into a sled, the front is really the only way to do it in Iraq. Well, it, it, yeah, in in Iraq, without actually G-racking it, this is a hot pluggable interface, so we can we can safely hot plug things in, which is great. Um, and then I also love the red color of the solder mask, just making it clear, like clue shot two. This is like remove before shipping. Like, yeah, don't ship me. Yes, you're not shipping. I am not done. This should not be. But the so in this photo, we've got we've got clue shot two, aka K dot two. And then we've got a little Intel NIC plugged into the PCI slot. So this is just taking you from U.2 to uh, back to PCI, um, which is uh, ridiculous. Well, it is. I mean, it really, it's just what it says. It's unfortunate but reasonable, which I think is. And I just, I also love. Obviously, computer goes this way, Chank goes that way. Um, it's just terrific. Uh, all right, so we'll get and we'll get to the uh, K.2 reimagined or, or uh, refined a little bit in a second. Um, but this is super important another one of these like completely load-bearing boards so uh on the right you see the vpd board which is the board we saw earlier that's plugging into via pmod like we saw with gimletlet but it's plugging into this new board donglet and so donglet has got a, a g0 on there um g031 and uh, Quiff, do you want to talk a little bit about our work on the the G zero? Because this is one. Of, this is another one of those. I feel you've done this a bunch, where you have this idea, like I think this, this could be useful in the future, and then not too far in the future, it becomes very, very useful. And this was definitely the case with the the hubris work that we did for the G zero. You know, that makes it sound a lot more low key than it was in practice. I think I, I would describe it as um, I was sitting there doom scrolling DigiKey as I'm wont to do. And uh, in between my incoherent screaming at all of the products going out of stock, I realized that there was a real possibility that we weren't going to have any microcontrollers available that we could actually run our software on by the time we needed to make hardware. So. Uh, in the background for a couple of months, I just kind of randomly ported Hubris to things. And um, the Cortex-M0 is the tiny ARM controller in the STM32G0 series. And the G0 series is interesting for a couple of reasons. One, it's real cheap. <laughs> Two, it was in stock. So, um, for me, and that wound up, we had to fit the whole Hubris system into something like we have 8K of RAM. 8K of RAM and importantly 64K um, and, of ROM, not 32K. That second 32K is important. Yeah, 64K is fine. Yeah, I mean, you can buy 32K parts. They're a little bit cheaper. And you can fit Hubris. We just can't fit Hubris in anything useful. So um, we, we buy the 64K instead. But that's um, what? one to two orders of magnitude smaller than our original target processors for Hubris. So that... That was fun. I keep hearing the blog post about the process I used for that. Look but, um, it, so it is very small. In particular, it, this is smaller than any computer that I have ever had. So this is my, like my first computer in the in the 80s had, and even the Commodore Pets that I was using at school 
still had you know 32k of ram or what have you so and uh i mean this is a this is really tight but we can actually get a useful hubris in there and we can get in particular we can actually speak some ice court c and we can actually do some things and what and and do you want to nathaniel you want to talk about so we we kind of done that work we had that in the back pocket and then what problem were we actually trying to solve uh with Donglet here well, so, you know, I think one of the common things like at Oxide is, I, you know, how long ago did Cliff port the the stuff to the little microcontrollers? I mean, it was, you know, a month or three months or so. I mean, you know, it was some time. It was kind of like, hey, I did this thing. He, he demoed it at one point in time. And, you know, it was kind of like, I don't know if we're going to need it, but like I did it. And then, you know, fast forward two months and it's like, well, now that work is critical path <laughs> or something. Right. So yeah. um, in, in this case, um, so like, as Matt had said, we built so we could use this is uh, the the right side board there, the bigger one, the VPD board is uh, or programmer is built so that it will interface with uh, PMOD, and so it was built to uh, to potentially connect up to a gimletlet. But as we realized, um, we were actually running short on our uh, gimletlet processors because the 50 units that Matt built uh, have kind of, you know, been distributed out to team members and are in load-bearing lab things. And uh, we we couldn't actually find more of that microcontroller. So just building more uh, gimletlets wasn't really an option. And so then once you're, you know, now we're back into like part search time and it's like, what what do we have that like we can use our code with like the least amount of modification possible uh, and still get you know some programming fixtures at our uh, at our vendor, and so one of the options here was like these you know G zero thirty ones that we could find in stock, and so it was like well, rather than try to claw back a bunch of development hardware that people are using in load bearing applications, let's just build more of these things, and they're not going to be super useful in a lot of cases, but they're going to be able to do the thing that we need, which is like do some I squared C, and so. So I built this this little board. It's got you know a regulator. It's got a USB uh, three connector that's only wired up for power. So that's how you get your five volts, and uh, you connect up an ST link to it, and it'll talk I squared C. And I did put the spy connector on there in case we need to use that for something in a different targeted application. We're not currently using that, and there is um, I think the other three spare I/O or whatever are pushed up to that header up on the top, and so we could potentially use this for like toggling power supplies or something uh, yes. should we need to. But yeah, which is also this, great to pull that yeah. out. But this was all just to we need we had to program we have to program a bunch of EPROMs in a bunch of different boards. So we have what we we call our vital product data or VPD boards. We have uh, EPROMs on our, all of our shark fins, so we use ten of those per sled. Uh, the sidecar fan assemblies have a VPD on them. The gimlet fan tray has a VPD on it. And so all of these things are used, you know, one or more times in a given sled or uh, system. And we need to get them programmed. And we have all this cool, you know, hubris and humility software that knows how to do all this already. So we're just, we built some targeted hardware to sit on the line and and do that and so one of the things you know we did there is like these two things go together they have a little power switch so you can turn them on and off and uh it turns out that power switch uh required us to make a couple of little changes because i squared c really doesn't like it when you go away uh, so <laughs> we ended up having to reset the microcontroller each time but it was kind of a fun debug session um right, and of, then this thing has just a little crazy to go i forgot about it yeah. right 
this thing has just a little I squared C mux on it, and so you can pick of you know you can pick one of the three different four different devices and do your VPD programming. And so you know we've done you know many thousands of boards through some of these now. So yeah, and this is an example where times. we we did our own manufacturing software as well as our own manufacturing hardware. So we control yes. all the software and hardware that's on the line. Which we'll um, we'll have, have to do a uh, oxide and friends on that with Joshua. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, it, it, one of the, when we talked to the, did, uh, our, our uh, podcast for podcast lovers uh, last year, uh, the end of last year, and I think it was Jeremy who, I don't, I can't remember who recommended the Playdate um, podcast. Oh, yeah. And, and then I remember Jeremy, you, yeah. Yeah. And then you followed up with me being like, you've got to go listen to this thing. I thought it was really good. I'm really enjoying it. But they also have discovered a lot of the same things that we discovered. And in particular, the need to write that. There, you need to write your own manufacturing software effectively. So there's a lot of software and hardware involved in manufacturing. And this is a great example of having, a, th th I feel like with, with Donglet and the VPD board, we had like a bunch of fortuitous things that we had done began to add up. And we did this, I mean, Nathaniel, you did this very quickly. Josh was able to do the software very quickly. I was able to do the Cliff and, and I were able to do the Hubris side of this very quickly. I mean, this whole thing just came together really, really fast. And we went from, God, we, how are we going to solve this problem to we've actually got a pretty viable solution in hand right. in a matter of weeks. Well, yeah. And we had, we did this in stages. So like I did the, I did the right side board, which we knew would connect to a gimletlet first. Cause you know, like it's no fun to sign up for more critical path work if you don't have to. Um, and so Donglet was going to be kind of a, if we get to it. And then even like the 3d printed frame and everything came even after that, because it was just a matter of like, we need a thing that works and then we can like incrementally add to it to get it better. Yeah. No, Cliff, are you trying to hop in there? Oh, I was just going to say like, one of the things that culturally I really enjoyed about coming to work at Oxide is that we're all pretty aligned around the idea that Sometimes you have to go slow to move fast later. And like in this case, this is an example of we've been building reusable parts. We've been using building uh, general purpose firmware, you know, operating systems and reusable board interfaces and things like that. So that when a problem comes up now, now that we've got all this stuff on the shelf, we can move really fast. And yeah. that's been really nice to see that come together. It has been really nice. And it's been, and I think and very vindicating again, I, I mean, the, oh, your belief that, like, hey, I think the M0, and the M0 is going to play an outsized role for us, and that's a great little part. And uh, the and we're, I mean, we love the G0 is a great little instantiation of it. I love this thing because from a peripheral interface, this looks exactly like the H7, which is a much bigger microcontroller. So it's great to have the same, what is clearly the same I2C block anyway, down on this much, much, much smaller micro. It's great. Uh, the next slide, so the, the, the next image, this is a, a, a close-up of the, the, the Gimlet Let Carrier Carrier um, that uh, Matt mentioned, um, preserving the all-IO 3.3 volt from uh, an earlier instantiations of this, the warning there, and the nude of trust. And the nude of trust. Yes, exactly. The nude of trust. Uh, which is another, another Gemini uh, throwback. Um, and then Eric, what's it... Um, with the, What's the, the these next boards? What are these? Yeah, so these aren't something that we made, but this is something that we had to customize ourselves because uh so we're testing our our sidecar Ethernet switch uh to be able to handle ten watt transceivers, uh QS 
QSFP 10 watt transceivers. Turns out there's no uh, passive load that'll do 10 watts. So this is a picture of the modifications I did to an off-the-shelf uh, mm. QSFP loopback module from you know sfpcables.com or whatever. Uh, no, 10G Tech. And they had a little board that had SMT pads for the TX and RX uh, power supplies, so I had to modify those to be 10 watt and then add in this little aluminum spacer you can see on the top so that it would uh, not have to be a you know six millimeter thick thermal pad. And that's how all I made all the uh, 10 watt loopback transceivers for regulatory testing. I was going to ask you how you did that because I just actually just today I was doing the LTC 4282 support and and your screenshot of the the you had 40 amps going through there and I'm like how did he do that actually? Uh, this, is how. this is how. That's great. Uh, well, Eric, you, you haven't said the funniest part about these loopbacks. Oh yeah, so they uh you know they're loopbacks. They have this little I squared, and there are actually two chips on here, like an I squared EEPROM and maybe some sort of tiny micro or something. Uh, and through the I squared interface on these things, you're supposed to be able to read the module temperatures. Well, these don't actually report temperature because <laughs> why would you ever need to on a passive loop pack that dumps three and a half watts? Mm, well, uh, well, when we dump ten watts, it turns out that's really important. Uh, so. <laughs> I had to put some thermal couples on there and just manually tweak the fans and be like, yeah, that's good enough. When, you know, the real ones have temperature sensors, but unfortunately these did not, and I did not find that out until way too late. There you go. Did, yeah, did we get God's own temperature sensor? Did we get, uh, did any of these, uh, did we get the smoke out of any of these? Or, no, uh... no, I I knew these were going to be hot, and then that's why I lit a fire under Matt, be like, dude, we need, uh, we need to incorporate the temperature sensing on the QSFPs into the uh, thermal loop. And so Matt goes and implements that, and then he's like, hey, these aren't reporting a temperature. I'm like, ah, crap. <laughs> yeah, these get, but they must get toasty because you've got, I mean, you've got 40 amps disappearing in all these. So this is definitely getting, getting yes, warm. 320 watts of sidecar. Yeah, they wow. get toasty. But we can keep them under, uh, keep them under 60C easy. That's awesome. All right, so then this uh, and this image goes with the BJ image earlier. Um, so Eric, do you want to explain what this is? Yeah, so this is part of a test adapter. So this is a our network switch is a four thousand some number BGA uh, ball BGA, and it takes uh, on the order of five hundred amps at 0.8 volts. And so you ideally want to check that out before you dedicate one of those really expensive things to testing and so this adapter is made to go in place of that really expensive network chip so that you can test it with external loads uh, so the first one we got we got from you know load slammer uh, the company uh, which you know they did they did good work and it was fine uh, but it's one of these things where you know, we certainly have the capability of doing it ourselves so this was my first try at doing it ourselves uh, with the 4,000 pin BGA and all that. So I'm going to compare the performance of my design versus the other design and, you know, see if there's any gotchas there. But uh, this is another, as we go through here, kind of back to the podcast where we talked about building tools. Uh, this is part of the tool development for Oxide and the fact that we need to be able to make these kinds of adapters ourselves without paying some external company a lot of money for something that we should ostensibly be doing ourselves. 
Absolutely. And the ability to generate load synthetically on these things and then study it has been, I mean, that was essential for both the, the gimlet for the, for the computes I bring up and the switch bring up. Uh, I mean, we, Eric, I know that was another one of the very first things you did when you arrived at Oxide is like, we have got to get a, an SDLE equivalent for sidecar because we're going to need it to be able to hit this load step and be able to, to debug this without actually having a chip in place. We do not want to debug this in terms of dead chips. No, that gets expensive real quick. Turns and this out is those, not uh, really expensive load adapters aren't that expensive when you consider how much it costs to replace one of those network twi- switches. Yeah, amen. Uh, and then uh, we're talking about the we get we the the cat makes an appearance here the, uh, from the from Gemini. Ah, as yes. Well. Yeah, grumpy cat. If you uh, if you insert a coin into the slot, it'll uh, it'll tell your future. <laughs> yeah, especially if it's hot. Yeah, it's, I, uh, I predict melted zinc. Exactly, uh, and then this is the the next one is your updated. That's three D printed, right? That um, the power adapter. Yeah, so this is an updated version of that huge board with the enormous uh, Phoenix terminal block on it, and this is a much more svelte version that is meant for more ready ready use. So this is a three D printed enclosure made out of ESD uh, PLA, and it has the right offset so that it'll plug into our sled and be you know, on the board, on the uh, surface, so that it's not, like, hanging out in space, which is nice. And it's a much and the, nice smaller connector. It, 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 it looks, it definitely looks uh, pro-grade, for sure. Uh, and then what is the, uh, what's this next board? I think, I think I'm seeing this for the first time. Yeah, so this is one that, again, goes back to tools development. So this is the, a synthetic load development board. So this is basically three MOSFETs in parallel, uh, generating a, a current a current load based on an analog input signal. So this is looking at the control the control loop from the uh little op amp that's up at the top. And then it'll drive these MOSFETs to be kind of like a, an SDLE or a you know load slammer or whatever. Uh, so this goes towards developing the uh synthetic load boards that we'll have to use for DDR dim testing. Um because DDR5 uses 12 volts, so we don't have any more DIMMs that we can buy that have that kind of synthetic load on them, so we're going to make our own. So this is the dev board I'm using. I'm going to use to develop that before I make something more fancy with a micro on it and A to D and all that stuff. That's awesome. I do love how quickly can a MOSFET decelerate itself. I, I, it it happens. I've seen it. I've done it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's fun. It's fascinating when it happens. You're like, did, did I seriously just desolder that thing? Yes, I did. Oh, crap. All right. Uh, and then uh, finally we get to, this is the, uh, the, the Kluge.2 is going out to the big city, Nathaniel. This, is, this thing is getting all pro now. Yeah, so this this is what happens when you're at, in the Bring Up Lab and Eric sees your really janky um, Kluge.2, the first one. And uh, we we were in kind of a board rework cycle, so there was a, a few down cycles. And he was like, you know, I can just pull uh, CAD up, the me- mechanical CAD for our sled, and actually like get all the parts aligned and like do everything fancy. And so like you know he does that, and then he's like, well you know, it's kind of annoying that the PCIe connector and like you'll notice that the PCIe connector on the original Clujot two is the same one that I had sourced for the VPD programmer. So I just had those in stock and that's why I use those. 
Um, but Eric was like, you know, we could probably put the NIC in line with a different U.2 connector or with a different PCIe connector. And so, you know, like like refinement on designs, uh, Eric made it, you know, a thousand times better than uh, it was originally. And uh, and then, you know, he did like controlled impedance and everything, which I had basically just skipped on because we were we built the uh, original Kluge.2 kind of, you know, in a crunch trying to get it done and uh we went with a fab house that didn't do controlled impedance and like the nicks are only by one so it's not really that big a deal and they're like you know gen 2 or something gen 1 maybe um so it's not that big a deal and they work uh but er the eric's improvement is just like an improvement across the board and we have a 3d printed enclosure for this and everything so he, he can probably tell you more about that even well, and this is where I mean we are now have now learned how important Cluejot two is. That you know we kind of did Cluejot two to kind of solve one thing, and now we're using it for a bunch of other things, and it's actually helpful to get this thing. Yeah, Cluejot two convenient to be able to to get an Ethernet port out the front of a rack. It is really convenient, and then it's also I guess say it's convenient too to be able to to you know you get the necessary kind of I/O that you need on the manufacturing line, but then. It's also great to be able to pull that surface area out and not have to ship with this, you know, not have to ship with regrettable I/O interfaces that are never used in production. Um, yeah, just end up right. as attack surfaces and all kinds of other horrible things, and, and everything else. So yeah, this is uh, I, I, the Kluge Two is growing up, but I, you know, it's I, I don't know, bittersweet. I think I don't. I, um, yeah, the 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 red Kluge Two is always kind of going to play a going to play a special role. Yeah, well, and this one is like a grown up design because I. Like Eric and Ian uh, dropped the thing into uh, our uh, like simulation software too, and so like the VR arrays have been tuned, and like things are actually nice here. So there you go. It's, well, it's like a more it, real board. It's more real board, but it, it's also based on the feedback that like, hey, we're yep. going to be using this thing in a. This is not going away anytime soon. We're going to be using this thing for a while, and getting this thing just totally nailed is is uh, a good use of of time and energy. Well, that's a that's a great whirlwind tour of a lot of boards that we have done. Um, I mean, I don't know what you thought, but when I was actually like beginning to catalog all these, I'm like, I'm, I already know that I'm forgetting things like ignition lit, for example. Yeah. Um, you've just done a lot of these, and you know, Cliff, as in so many things, I think you were very prescient about the the, the Swiss Army knife effect of gimlet lit and this incredible superpower, Nathaniel, that you've now honed. Of being able, I mean, having our own in-house pick and place, uh, it just allows us to move that much faster. And I feel there are a lot more of these boards in our our future. I don't think we've regretted any of them, honestly. I think that they, they have all been, and being able to explore small ideas or big ideas and being able to use it to, to distribute the team, um, to have, allow everyone to have a gimletlet, um, for example, has just been enormous. So yeah, and I yeah. Drives, okay. driving that driving that culture, you know, other people who maybe aren't going to build the board have the opportunity of coming up with ideas for like boards that should exist. And so like I I always feel like that's kind of a fun conversation like should this board exist and you know, we can talk through that as a team. But like as people find needs, like those are things where you know, we've we've lowered the barrier of entry to getting a board. So you're you're not going to go it's not a three month design cycle with, you know, a bunch of reviews and, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. It's something that we can like, you know, turn the crank on pretty easy. 
it turned the crank on really easily. And boy, has it been useful from a software and hardware perspective to just to explore different aspects of the system. I mean, we just are just using them absolutely everywhere. Um, and it's been it's been tremendous. And I, I think I think also your point, it's like it, they really being able to do these boards quickly and lightly and turn around quickly uh, really fosters a sense of teamwork and collaboration where we've got, I mean, just like the dimwits where I mean, I, the dimwits were so meaningful to, to me to develop that particular software that we really needed. That was going to be really painful otherwise. Um, and I think it's been true for a bunch of these other boards where they may not have a huge audience, but that audience is really, really appreciative uh, and really allows us to move qu much more quickly as a broader team. Well, I think that uh, I, I know that that was more than an hour. So um, my uh, this was great. I mean, I, 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 you know, this should be a talk that we pitch to a conference because I think that this was just such a great tour through the product at large and all of these really innovative solutions to problems that I don't know would have been so much more expensive and time consuming and laborious uh, without the kind of tight integration between hardware and software. This is just so fun to go through. It is fun. And I have to say this whole, that all of these proto boards have just, I feel gives us a lot of agency. It just feels like it, with any problem, we've got all these different tools that we can bring to bear as a team to go solve them. And it really feels exciting. It feels like, you know, we're, we're we're ready we're ready for the crises, which is a good thing because and and the fearlessness to build the next one, right? What once I mean, once you've built ten or fifteen, you know, building the sixteenth or seventeenth doesn't feel like a big deal. Yeah, and I think that uh, also, and then, you know, I know we've talked about this, but have we opened up any of the? Certainly, there's no reason for us not to open up these designs. Have we opened any of these up? I'm not sure if we actually have. We I don't know that we have actually opened them. There's really no reason not to. I think uh, probably some of them need a cleanup pass for. Uh, properly documenting the mods in the actual designs as opposed to over in our like, you know, rework tracker. Um, so that, that's probably, and, and, you know, that's probably mostly the reason that we haven't done it yet because it, we have, you know, we're also trying to ship a product. So we are trying to ship a product, but I just feel like some of these, like the Gimletlet and the Donglet, maybe Kluja too. I mean, a couple of these are going to be useful to other folks as well. So um, yep. Uh, I'd love to believe the dimwit's got to be useful to someone else too. I know that we're not gonna have a problem. <laughs> I feel like DDR4's like ship is already sailing, though. You know, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I know. Well, th thank you so much, um, Nathaniel and and Matt, and Cliff and and Rick and Eric. Thank you for all of your hard work on all of this. Um, but also thank you for for walking us through all of these. This has been really, really fun to go through all of this. So thank you very much for the extended time tonight. Um, and uh, Adam, thanks for, uh, I, I, this is something I know was driven by the demo that, that Nathaniel gave on Friday, but uh, this has been a lot of fun to go through all these. Yeah, super fun. All right. Thanks everyone. Uh, and we will see you next time.